welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. Welcome back if you've listened before. If you're new here for the first time, these are interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. Today, it's Samuel Mumford. He's an absolute frothing Cornish bee living down under. Um, I can't do this accent, as you'll find out in this interview. But, uh, mate, he tells a good story, and we have some great fun in this chat. So um, stick around. Before we get there, I've got a couple of quick shout-outs. The Spear Junkies team have released their videos free on YouTube. Check it out. Just go to Spear Junkies on YouTube. You can watch all of the videos that they made. They spent tens of thousands of dollars, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollars making these uh, videos. They were trying to get them on one of the major networks. Unfortunately, it didn't get up, but um, these videos are now free and available on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. Check them out. Give them some love on there and uh, some encouragement too because um, there's some phenomenal footage there. I'd encourage you to check them out. So Gio Vitali sent me a thing just to remind me that they were up there available for free on YouTube at Spear Junkies. So check that out. Before we get into this interview, also, Nuba Stories. If you go to noobspear.com, up into the menu, there is an, a, a page called Nuba Stories. Basically, you can leave a three-minute voice message Tell me a story about a near miss, about a new bit of gear you've got, about a terrible dive buddy, about a good dive buddy, about a poo story, whatever you like. Go to noobspirit.com, head up into the menu at Nuba Stories and leave me a voice message to include in the show, just like this one. It is from Mitch in Durban. It's a crayfish story. Here we go. Thanks, Mitch. How's the trick? Uh, my name's Mitch from Durban, South Africa. Just thought I'd pop this funny story to you because uh, I really like that part of your podcast. Uh, this one's not exactly about spearfishing, but it was about when myself and my best friend Stephen were just learning how to dive for crayfish here in Durban with my dad. Uh, it must have been around 1997, 1998. We were about 14, 15. And uh, you know, my dad took us out a couple of times, showed us where the Crazy hiding in the in the holes, and uh, he calls us over. You know, this real white water stuff um, for for newbies like us. He calls us over and he says, "Okay, guys, there's crazy in this rock. I've seen them. Go down, have a look. Uh, these are easy, perfect for you guys to learn on." So Stephen and I both dive down. We like stick our heads in here. It's dark. You can't see anything. We come up, we like, I say to my dad, I can't see anything. He's like, listen, I've got so many craze out of this rock. Just stick your bloody hand in there uh, and you'll feel them and, and pull them out. So Stephen goes first. He goes down. He sticks his hand in there. He comes up, says, no, no. He calls my dad Manir. Uh, it means Mr. in Afrikaans. He says, no, Manir, um, I can't feel anything. So my dad, like, pushes Stephen aside and says, oh, just piss off, man. Let me get it. Dives down, puts his hand in, just gets chowed by this huge eel that was lurking in the back of the cave. He comes up, there's blood everywhere. He's like swearing through a snorkel. Yeah, it's pandemonium. Anyway, so cut to that afternoon sitting down, you know, looking at uh, this big cut from the eel teeth on his finger. He's having a beer and he's, he confides to us, he says, you know, you know, actually, uh, I knew there used to be an eel living in that hole. So Stephen and I like look at him. He goes, 
No, I just actually wanted you guys to see if the eel was there. So when you put your hand in, Stephen, and didn't get bitten, I was like, right, game on. I'll get the craze. So lesson learned, don't ever trust the, the old man when you're diving because he's just using your fingers as bait for these eels. I hope you enjoyed that story from Mitch. If you, again, if you want to go to noobsparrow.com, up into the Noob Story section, leave me a voice message just like Mitch and tell me about one of your near misses, as I mentioned, uh, a, a, a crazy dive buddy, a poo story, whatever you like. That would be awesome. Uh, Jesse also dropped me an email to say Spearing Magazine have changed owner. Um, it looks like Jeremy has moved on and Kyle and Sky have bought the magazine and have now taken it over. As far as I'm aware, it's all continuing as normal. I haven't caught up with those guys yet. I'm sure they're scrambling to um, get all their issues out, get their system in place. But Sparing Magazine has consistently uh, been pumping out awesome stuff for the past, um, more than past decade, I believe. And I really, uh, I'm going to miss Jeremy. And uh, you guys are probably going to miss <laughs> the Sparing Magazine adverts where I'm pretending to be Jeremy. Uh, but nevertheless, stay subscribed to Sparing Magazine. They do an awesome job sharing stories and adventures, um, tips and actionable information from around the planet. And uh, they help keep the sport going and um, encouraging awesome stuff and great trips and inspiring us all. Uh, if you don't have a co- at least one copy of Spearing Magazine in your house, then uh, I'd encourage you to check them out at spearingmagazine.com. Um, but anyway, hey, let's get into today's interview with Samuel Munford. Boom. Adreno.com.au, the home of recipes, blogs, videos, equipment reviews, and an obnoxiously large range of spearfishing equipment for frothers like you. Not only that, but spearfishing trips and courses, courses and trips that I sometimes get to go on. Check them out at adreno.com.au. It's a Spiro's best friend. Check them out, and if you want to buy gear, pump in the code NoobSpiro to save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can use that online, in-store, Use the code NoobSpero, save some cash, and support the NoobSpero podcast. Shop with adreno.com.au. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it, and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. All right, g'day, Noob Spirit community. We're keeping it natural today. I've got. Uh Self-described, <laughs> self-described, a Cornish Bay down under. I can't do the accent. I don't know how to do it. Sorry, no, Sam. That's way off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's way off. Yeah. Uh, I'll to, I'll, by the time I finish chatting with you today, I'll have it down, I reckon. Welcome to the show. Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so you're a bit of a character, Sam. Um, Sam the Waterman oh. on Instagram. You're, you're a muso sort of slash, would you call yourself like, almost alternative like you're would you call yourself yeah yeah i guess so yeah. pretty alternative muso you're a muso type dude yeah i am yeah i've been um yeah musician since i was a young lad and you love spearing yeah it gave me a lot of a lot of free time during the week which was uh always a pleasure to get in the water when everyone else was at work so always nice. has its benefits <laughs> yeah yeah oh so you you perform like during the weekends most of the time and then during the week you're out spearing 
yeah, in England that was that was more or less my uh, that was my job for a long time is uh, playing at you know at pubs and clubs and some festivals and and yeah, often it gave me a lot of time during the week to uh, get in the water. So yeah, I went and had a little bit of a listen to the song you've got in your um, Insta account. It's a SoundCloud um, Peninsula Band. Is that the name of your band? Yeah, well, that's the, my old band when I was in England. Yeah, unfortunately, we had to break up because uh, oh, I, I, I was chasing fish in different countries, aka Australia. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to put my priorities right. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in three meter flatties on the tweet. Oh, that's, and, it. Uh, that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. So you sport a, a cracking mullet, and you've blended in with Australian lifestyle pretty pretty easily by the looks of it. What's your sort of your um, day to day sparing like down there? Uh, well, here where I'm currently, like you say, I'm on the tweed. Um, yeah, it's it's um, I can't say it's my favourite destination in Australia to be spearing, but uh, but we it's pretty good. We get some good fish. Um, you know, you've just got to always you know keep in mind where you are, and you know. There's always times to do trips and go travelling, but yeah, there's plenty of flathead around. There's mangrove jack, you know, heaps of brim and ludric, and you know, depending where you are. Like you know, I've got friends in Sydney, and often you know some of the fish that we tend to turn our nose up at here, you know, other people it's prized fish, but also the same for you know, you speak to the guys out up at Ningaloo and on the Great Barrier, you know, they. They tend to turn their nose up at fish we price down here, so it's always important to uh, sort of uh, learn your species in your area. Uh, and uh, yeah, do you, th- do you? I sometimes think of fish in terms of like the temperature band where they're caught. Yeah. Like I'm really partial to temperate water fish. Like I friggin' love them. But then I also have like I'm maybe I just started to appreciate <laughs> fish from everywhere because I like eating the stuff. But yeah. um. Do you, do you do you see that? Do you see like because like you got people up in in the UK that they just eat pollock and that's pretty much all they eat. <laughs> maybe some, maybe they get adventurous and eat some cod. Yeah, but, you know, like yeah, the average for can, sure. Yeah, the average person that eats fish generally they just stick to the one or two species that they think they know. Is that was that your opinion? Yeah, for sure. Again, yeah, it completely depends on where you are. Like in the Atlantic, we don't have a massive range of species that are all that great, to be honest. I mean, there are enough. There's enough to keep you occupied. But, yeah, like to get out here and be spoiled, um, yeah, like you say, as soon as you start getting up in the warmer waters, uh, you know, often as Spiros, we uh, spend a lot of time on social media and YouTube checking out videos of, you know, people doing all sorts of stuff in crazy tropical places. and But you just got to try and, you know, be appreciative for, like, where you are and, and what you can make the most of. So that's one thing I've learned for sure. So growing up, you grew up Cornwall. Cornwall, yeah. So you do get some of the better ocean conditions in England, is that right? Yeah, I would say probably the best, arguably. Um, yeah. Yeah, they do some of the national competitions um, down near where I live. Uh, we get sea bass. That's like a quite a sought yeah. after species. Uh, it's different to obviously the white sea bass that you get out in uh, California and those sort of waters. But it's a great fish, great table fish, and they're really clever. And 
quite a difficult fish to hunt. So it's always a good species to target, especially if you're, you know, starting to develop and hone in your skills. I've seen it. I've seen a couple of um, vids like Joe PK and uh, Daniel Mann seem to um, film that part of the world pretty spectacularly these days. And uh, I think um, it seems to have opened up the eyes of the average pom to the prospect of even getting in the water and and having a crack at it. Like, how old were you when you got in and had a go? Um, I I was trying to think actually. I was probably around fifteen or sixteen. Um, I was a keen keen rod fisherman from just being a lad like we just grew up on the ocean which I was very fortunate to do but I had a friend that went to France and come back with a spear gun and it was one of those like the trident three prongs yeah 50, yeah 50 60 centimeter guns absolutely like rubbish and <laughs> I remember like thinking yeah like I want to have a go on that for sure and in the meantime of him coming home from France and lending me the gun the the, the prong had actually unscrewed off the spear tips. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just had the spear shaft. So that, that's what I started spearfishing on. So you were just, was, uh, you were just stunning. You were I just stunning mullet. stunning Pollock, yeah. I would go to uh. places where I knew I could catch fish due to like rod fishing. And yeah, I would just knock out as many fish as I <laughs> as I could get. But yeah, Pollock, Pollock aren't the smartest of fish, so. Uh, so I, you had I, like a, a, a the Mike Tyson of spear guns, like oh, there was pretty the... much. Yeah, <laughs> sending shockwaves through the ocean. I was. <laughs> so you just punched them with a blunt spear yeah. tip, and then what? The, just the tackled spear, the fish. Yeah, it never it never penetrated the flesh of the fish. But I'll just I would just be lining up headshot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just just completely knocking out the pollock and then I'd just have to swim over and grab it in my hand. And that was that. Yeah. I had my dive knife and that was the uh, final blow, not the spear. So <laughs> it wasn't very well, how popular. <laughs> how soon after that did you invest and buy yourself one? Um yeah, I guess it probably would have been about, yeah, six months or something. Obviously, being a young lad, like, money was always an issue. But, um, mm. but yeah, there's, you know, I think um, I got a first, is it like a Boucher gun. Uh, yeah, nothing special again, but, you know, just something that had a tip on, which was a vast improvement. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just picturing you like, like crawling along the bottom of this dirty water, like just with a shoe in your hand. Really, really. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. That was pretty yeah. much it. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so it yeah. speaks, it's, it speaks to your persistent persistence, and I think like when you're young and you're keen as beans, like I'll be honest, like hopping in the water and trying to shoot a fish when all you've got is a blunt spear. And uh, no, like no shaft on it, like no tip on it. Um, it still has a lot more appeal to me than line fishing. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And the thing is, so, it, it helped me. It helped me. I had to get close to the fish. I had to learn how to. I had to learn how to hunt the fish and get within hmm. range. You know, like I feel like these days, I think there's so much emphasis put on. You know, it is important to get good gear and have the right equipment, but sometimes people are skipping that the whole like spearfishing it's a form of hunting isn't it like 
I find that often you can learn more from shows like Meat Eater with Stephen Ranella, you know, about, yeah. you know, just being completely stealth-like. And, you know, that's often a lot of the skill, you know. Mm. Anyone can sort of, if you're in 10, 50 metres of water and you've got, you know, 1,200 gun, you know, four bands, if you can if you can aim right, you'll you'll be shooting fish, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get to a point in the near future where you're going to be getting good fish because often they're a lot more clever than just getting in range. So that's mm -hmm. what I was quite appreciative of the fact that I never really had good gear until I was older because when I finally did get good gear, I was at a point where they were in range. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah, could get yeah. them, so. I think there's something to that too, respecting the learning curve. Like everyone tends to resent the obstacles that they have, whether they're physical or they're material in terms of like just can't afford good gear or you live in a part of the world where the water's just not that clean and it's cold mm. and stuff like that. Like, But the people that persist and put in the hard yards without ideal conditions and ideal equipment, they're the ones that actually love it and froth on it more than all yeah, the rest of them. Like sure, if you yeah. actually – if you like, I mean, when you came over to Australia, you must have like just been frothing on the opportunity to jump in the water and and um, see what the water had to offer here. Yeah, it blew my mind. Obviously, it was something that was, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a fish nerd anyway. I think it's very important to study all your species to know what they look like underwater. You know, not even just the fish, but just surrounding wildlife and. Uh, a thing that I did when I first came to Australia is I didn't actually, I thought I'd get myself some gear when I got here. And I actually traveled the whole of the West Coast for sort of a few months. And I just went with a cray loop uh, just for that same reason of like being in the water to study the fish and like study how they act rather than just swimming around like a seal or a shark with a gun in your hand, just sort of spooking everything off. And I think stuff like that's invaluable, you know. Like it's, and it's not boring, you know. It's yeah. nah, <laughs> it's not it's not nah. all about just shooting fish. It's it's uh, yeah. There's there's a lot there's a lot to it. I find that if I'm enjoying myself underwater, if I'm you know looking at the small reef fish, I'm looking at the turtles. I'm just taking everything in and enjoying it. That's when I catch good fish. Whereas if I'm if I'm straight underwater, I'm you know. My eyes are wide. I'm my belly's hungry. You know, often they're the times where you come out not, you know, with not as great fish. In my opinion, you just you just diagnosed 100 percent of the issues I have. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> difficult to switch um, that off. What's a like a a really really memorable catch for you? Um, oh. Maybe something a time where you did everything right. Um, it's not often I do everything right, to be honest, but <laughs> I've had it's some, I've had some really, really good catches that I've been proud of over the years. Um, I had, uh, I didn't, I didn't register it, but at the time I, I still believe it still would be now, but I never, like I said, I never went through the official, um, ways of registering it, but I got a, um, Australian record milk fish when I was up in, uh, Northern WA. That was, um. That was a pretty, yeah, pretty good achievement for me. Uh, my yeah. biggest, biggest fish at the time for sure. Uh, quite, what was it? Yeah. How did you manage to get onto it? So we, it was my friend's birthday and we'd all been, again, this was the second time I did 
uh, tour of WA and we were just like trying to live off the ocean. Um, and we said, you know, we'll do a bit of a spearfishing competition today for his birthday and then we'll grab a few beers, cook fish. Um, the, we got we got stung with the viz, but luckily I'm used to not very good viz. And even in Exmo, if you know, but it was probably only two or three metres. But um, yeah, I just did uh, a dive to the bottom, uh, a couple guttural noises, uh, scratching a bit of the reef. And sure enough, a, a big silhouette come through. And um, yeah, I managed to get a you know a pretty good holding shot, but I only had my uh, real gun. I probably only had twenty or thirty meters worth of line on it, and it it basically took me water skiing. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm looking at the photo of it. It looks like I don't, I don't know. I'm guessing over over twelve kilo, maybe. Oh, how, how heavy sure. do you think it went? For sure, I think at the time the record was thirteen kilo. Okay. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, certainly definitely over that. It was, yeah, close yeah. to, and um, they're such dense, thick fish. Like, yeah, whereas yeah. if if you compare that to say like a queenfish or a Spanish mackerel, like the weight wouldn't be, you know, the same. But, heavy. Yeah, but like almost like the blue bone tusk fish. Like sometimes they're not that long, but they're just thick and dense. Uh, it was a struggle to get it back up the beach. It was a big fish, but. You know, you live and learn. I guess it's not all about the trophies anyway, but but yeah, that nah. was a that was a really great fish. Um Do they eat all right? Hey. What's the te- what's the eating quality? Oh yeah, amazing, amazing. Um I really enjoyed it. It actually tasted like chicken, funnily enough. But I know that's <laughs> I know that's what often people say, but I mean my uh, my gripe being out here is uh, a lot of the species that get turned away are actually some of my favourites, you know. Um, and I think that, like, taste is such a subjective thing, you know. Mm. You need to, uh, you need to, everyone just sort of takes, you know, rod fisherman's words, you know, that it's all about coral trout or red emperor and that you don't eat these species. But, you know, uh, aside from, like, giving it a go, you, you often don't know. I find a lot of the really sought-after fish species are, they're sought after because they're often hard to catch and because they mm. have like not very strong taste in white meat, which yeah. that, that might not be what everyone's into. Like I quite like the taste of like a more oily fish, like mackerel or, you know, mm. there's the whole different range and it's just, uh, but yeah, it was very different to anything I've eaten before and we had a lot of it. So yeah, it's a big fish. But yeah, luckily we're traveling with sort of, I think there's probably about 13 of us at the time and and we gave some to people nearby that were camping with us. But yeah, every, everyone really enjoyed it. It was pretty bony. That's uh, the only thing I'd say. But um, I'll definitely, definitely take another one. I wouldn't uh, turn my nose up, up to it again. But yeah, it's good. Cool. Well, well done. What a special fish. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> so, so East Coast versus West Coast. Um, you'd have to say West Coast is sport, apart from the weather, maybe. For me, yeah, West Coast is the best coast. I'm sure I'm going to upset people by saying that, but um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm a sure I'm a sure dive spear fisherman. You know, that's just always what I've done, and you're blessed on the West Coast. You can literally, you know, around Exmo from those areas, you can step into the water, and it's it's like an aquarium. You know. I'm sure yeah. that the back, you know, parts of the Great Barrier Reef 
you can get out there. They're exactly the same, but, you know, I've never quite had those chances. But, yeah, the mm. northeast coast for me as a shore diver, I mean, a lot of it, you know, I, even, like, you know, around Brisbane and that, it can be uh, pretty murky a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. So. And uh, unfortunately, like, so much of spearfishing is about opportunity, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but boats, boats open up the world to you if you're a spearo. For sure, um, yeah. And if, if, you, if you're shore diving, you can still have a good time. You can still shoot good fish, but um, you're going to work. You're going to work for it, and uh, you're going to get less diveable days because inshore conditions are never going to be as good as offshore. No, that's exactly right. So have you uh, spent time meeting people and sort of like getting, you know, meeting people in order to get out and go offshore with them? I have. Or do you feel like a budget doing that? Oh, I'm just, I'm a bit of a funny one, really. Like the way I learn is like I never really had a mentor or, you know, I never really had anybody to show me the ropes. But I often found that, you know, if I went out on my own, I would see more fish. And I know that's a very controversial, you know, point. But yeah, I've met a lot of people here. Like I've spoke to um, message Daniel Mann because he messaged, he moved to London as I moved out. So you know <laughs> I, I was asking for him asking him for some spots around that he might know of and i often to give him some of mine but and there's a uh, you know a few guys and the, the um, heads of the spearfishing clubs here that i've spoke to but uh but yeah i just um yeah if there are people around and i'll that i recently bought a new gun in uh adreno up on um the new store there it's really great and i got added yeah. to one of the clubs there but yeah i just haven't really taken um taken full advantage of it yet but i definitely will especially now you know we're in midsummer. uh try and get out there a bit more and learn some new skills for sure <laughs> i'm gonna have to flick your text next time i head out but um we've had pretty woeful conditions in the last yeah. few weeks like just big swells and rain and yeah it's been grubby um has. who who are your dive buddies down there at the moment? Uh, just, just a couple of friends that I travel with. Uh, yeah, just people that um, you know, just been learning more or less. But uh, they're they were doing pretty well. How long are you there for? Me, I've been here now. Yeah, in the for, tweet. Um, I'm staying here for the foreseeable now. We are going to do another round trip again. I'm just waiting for my permanent uh, visa, permanent residency to clear through. But uh, yeah, I'm still going to be here for another year. So. Uh, do you want to uh, <laughs> you want to catch up, have a couple of beers, and get in for a dollar? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I just um, sure. I just found out a massive about a massive quarry, an old quarry just down the road from me. Um, it's not public knowledge, and um, I think it, the legality of diving in it is still a little bit sketchy. Um, however, the water's like uh, like really blue, like that that um special sort of blue. You get about five meters vis. I went diving in there last night. And it's full of rubbish, so I'm going to have a few trips in there doing that. But um, it's nice to have some enclosed water to just get wet, um, even with the poor conditions we've had out in the ocean. But um, but next time I head out, I'm definitely going to flick you a message and we'll we'll, we'll get out and oh, have a look around. Yeah, I'd appreciate that for sure. <laughs> On the east coast, where sport sometimes, particularly probably where you are, and as you head south around headlands, different times of the year, you can come across yeah. uh, dewies. Have you spent much time chasing jewfish yet? I'm yet I'm yet to come across uh, a decent jewfish, but uh, mangrove jack I've had I've had more luck with. Um, but yeah, jewfish still on the list of things. I've I've been chasing around the swell and 
around the headlands trying to get in shallow and but yeah nothing i've seen a few smaller ones but yeah i'm yet to uh get a nice big one off the shore but uh what about you have you had much luck around the headlands or uh mate i've only ever shot three dewey uh i could call it four but i didn't land the the best one um I haven't had a lot of lang- uh, a lot of luck with them either, but it's my understanding that sort of about an hour and a half south of where I am is where that you start to get them a bit more yeah. on the headlands. Although I don't think the fishery's in excellent shape at the moment. No. I was talking to James Sacker, and he just thinks it's more um, due to rain, uh, the rain cycles, and 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 just being able to have a few rainy seasons. That he says that helps with uh, the reproduction, getting a couple of decent big spawning sessions out. Yeah, but um, we'll see what happens with it in the next few years, I guess. But um, they are really cool fish underwater. You see, the, the diamonds yeah. sort of light up in their tail. Amazing, yeah. Um, with, with with mangrove jacks, what, what have you figured out about jacks? You reckon? Oh, they're very smart fish. Very smart fish. I've I found um, pretty similar to sort of they've got the same feel to bass back home. Uh, you give them a reason to spook, and they they'll go. You know. I found that you need to completely cover yourself from their vision uh, for them to really come in close. Um, If you can get right behind a rock, you know, often you'll see them in the distance. I found that if you can then adjust your position from there to completely cover yourself, uh, that will be your best chance of sort of bringing them in. A lot of the predatory fish, you know, they – they can be quite curious, but um, but not always. If you obviously, if you give them a reason to uh, to think you're anything apart from friendly, like they won't they won't give you the time of day. But I found that's that's the best. Um, yeah, that's you know you just got to be really really slow. Um, no sudden movements, and yeah, I often find squinting my eyes often will make a difference. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, yeah. but yeah, like. I've, I've often see fish almost look me in the eye. If I'm excited, I've got big eyes anyway. I probably look like <laughs> probably look like a sea lion. But I find if I just sort of just close my eyes a little bit and, you know, it's like less of a threatening sort of thing, I find that often can help. It's amazing how, um, how much uh, fish and, like, life below the sea pay attention to eyes, you know, like oh, we see sure. the shark eye. The shark eyes deterrence that people are wearing on the backs of their heads to the mm. sharks when you make eye contact with them they behave differently oh, like there's sure. something to it and i think fish are the same like some people talk about like holding a hand up over their mask and then looking through a crack in their fingers and everyone's kind of got a different variation on it mm. it's uh do you like uh, another area where you find jack seems to be low light like they like structure they oh, like yeah. caves do you, do, you, do you find that you're nat- naturally squinting anyway because you're like in all these low light situations when you're, you know, trying yeah, to find Yeah, you have got to adjust for the light. Yeah, sometimes I'll try and get my head behind the structure, behind the sun, so that, yeah, like I get a clearer vision. But, yeah, often, you know, they'll be swimming in and out of the caves um, and, you know, there's a lot of luck involved with any of spearfishing and same with broadfishing. Yeah. You have got to be in the right place at the right time, but there's definitely things you can do. But yeah, just just being as slow. I try and think that 
I, I try and be more of like a floating log or a bit of seaweed rather than, do you know what I mean? You can, you can come across yeah. as, yeah, like, you know, fish can probably see you as, you know, like I say, more of a seal or a shark. If you're, if you're, if you're on the surface and you've got brim and, and everything darting around underneath you, you know, you, you're already one step behind because that it's like that whole environment's already sort of on high alert. So I try and bear that in mind when I get to like a fishy area that I just sort of will just zone out on top for a little while. And like often you'll get bait fish gathering underneath you and, and like just small signs to know that the fish are sort of comfortable around you. You're, all, you're giving yourself a better chance for sure. Whereas it's often it's, Especially like you say, if you're with other people, you can you can be getting excited as you see like a nice bit of structure, or you might see a fish dive under a bit of reef, and it's almost like who's going to get down there first, sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's yeah the key is to you know from my experience is to just like really take it as slow as you can. Today's Veterans Vault is brought to you by Old Man Blue. Who are Old Man Blue? They are Spiros based in Western Australia that make the gear right there in WA. They're trying to establish an Australian brand every Australian can be proud of. As a result of this philosophy, Bert and his team source their materials and craft their catch bags and cray loops right there in Western Australia. Check them out at oldmanblue.com.au. You've got to love great worksmanship. You'll see plenty of that at oldmanblue.com.au. Equalising problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Friends or an Advanced Friends or video or the Mouthful and Deep Friends or Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Shrek, my dude, you're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, noobers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our In the Face Apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest Spearing Magazine. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Shrek, thanks. Love what you're doing. Jeremy out. So you, you, you're sort of more of a guy that goes spearfishing because you love the underwater experience and you like catching a feed. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't seem to, like, have that, um, you know, that orientation towards competitions or shooting massive trophies. Is it what's kind of like the, your underlying love for it? Yeah, what's one of the reasons for sure. you, you love it. Um, like, yeah, like the activity itself is we're hunting fish, aren't we? So it's uh, it's quite a, it's trying to find the balance in between. Like, yeah, obviously everyone wants to catch the good trophy fish, but really we're we're killing fish. Like we've got to be eating them. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? For me, it's you know, there's there's not enough focus on well there is obviously now with the project you're running which i think is absolutely brilliant i've obviously shared my support but uh you know you've got to learn how to cook the fish like that's the 
it's like the icing on top of the cake when you can sit around like your barbecue or your campfire on the beach or around your table at home with your family and you've got like beautiful food to eat like it just makes yeah. it that much better oh, 100%. The, the amount of times i've been with people and you know people want to go spearfishing like that's what they want to do and you know fish get left in the esky and you know it's it's the fishing prepared right people are just sort of putting fish on hole and not that that's necessarily a bad way to cook them but you know it depends but it's the only it's the only way they know you know they'll chip a bit of tinfoil around it put it in the pan and, and you're, you're not you're not respecting the fish really you're not you it's not really it's not in my opinion what spearfishing is about how did you get how did you get confident with preparing fish? Like um and I mean give us an um give us a little bit of an idea of how you've expanded out of your comfort zone over the years. Oh, definitely. It's been a massive learning curve. Like when I was young, obviously I just was shooting pollock to start off with. Um, and that's sort of what I was catching a lot on rod as well. And my mom my mom was an amazing cook and so was my dad, but when it came to fish, it's often it's a different skill altogether. And as I say, they used to just pan fry the fish whole. And yeah, like arguably that can be some of the tastiest way to eat fish. But as a as a meal, you know, as a kid, you sort of I didn't want to be like picking around like eggs and bones and eyeballs, you know. So like as yeah. soon as I got to a point where I could be, you know, preparing my own fish, like learning to fillet fish is like an amazing thing to learn but, you know <laughs> apart from the apart from the first 20 that you've exactly up. <laughs> exactly you do mess up fish but it's, yeah it's worth it in the end for sure to be able to eat a piece of fish like a piece of steak you know it's seasoned mm. it's you know it looks good on the plate um yep. and ev- everyone can eat it it's like people and then some people can be a bit fussy with fish especially if there's like heads and tails and you know who knows what like kicking around the plate but to learn yeah. how to fillet your fish i think is definitely definitely a skill worth pursuing for sure yeah i can agree with that so you started cooking it and then you like you started filleting it learning how to fillet it for yourself what did you did you how soon was it till you started trying raw fish and stuff like that um yeah not until fairly recently really um like you say a lot of the a lot of the species that you that are commonly eaten, um, you know, raw like sashimi, um, you don't get a lot of sort of stuff like that back home. But yeah, like with tuna and stuff here, like mat tuna and and some of those species, obviously they taste great in sashimi. But it's not something that I've done lots and lots of. Um, but yeah, I'd, it's all about experimentation, isn't it? Sometimes you you get it right, and then you can go right. That was good. That worked that time. That was really nice, and but yeah, just keeping the ingredients fresh. I found you can't go wrong with just like fresh fish and you know fresh salads. And I know uh, Brody Moss is a big advocate of that uh, Kewpie mayo, which I have to sort of agree with. That's a oh, hundred percent great compliment to fish. <laughs> I've got a new one um, that I bought the other day. It's a wasabi Kewpie mayo. Oh yeah, and, I'm, oh, I'm oh, on it's, it. It's, it's banging. <laughs> I love it. It goes yeah, on it sandwiches, like everything for me. Um, yeah, I like it. Um, yeah. Have you tried a ceviche? Have you tried to make one before? 
Uh, no, I haven't. I was I was, I was watching um, the uh, the Back to Basics guys recently, and I noticed they were doing a lot of that, obviously due to sort of restrictions with cooking and refrigeration. Yeah. It's definitely something that I'm really looking forward to trying. Yeah. But then, I, what about you? You do a lot. I have only in the last twelve months started to really do it, but um, I love raw fish. Like in New Zealand, I grew up. Um, there's one there. I think uh, it's commonly called ikamata which is uh, coconut milk, basically, and it's just cured overnight in a fridge. Um, most ceviches, though, now, like the South American-style ones, they really only need, like, five, six minutes in the lime, and then, boom, away you go, you're up and eating. Yeah. Um, I shot a sawtail surgeon fish, like, maybe six months ago, and I just um, filleted it, left the skin on, and then pat-dried with paper towel, wrapped it up in paper towel, put it in a Ziploc bag, threw it in the fridge. I left it in there for two days, and then I... And then I pulled it out and changed the paper towel and they left it in there for another 24 hours, I think. So 72 hours in total in a Ziploc bag and really dried out. Um, and then I pulled that out and did a ceviche with it, some of the best fish I've ever eaten. And it's a sawtail oh, wow. surgeon fish, which is, you know, like yeah. they're everywhere, you know, like in uh, uh, not did not a highly esteemed fish. Oh, mate, so good, so good. It's like sandpaper, isn't it? The skin on the surgeon fish. Yeah, but you can, they're very easy um, fish to process, like fill it in skin. Yeah, very easy. Mm. So, um, yeah. And quite a mild fish, too. Like, so if you're trying to introduce people to raw fish, I think um, it, it, it goes well with that. But um, yeah, the 99 spare recipes, thanks for um, supporting the project, buddy. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it coming to life. Hopefully, April it'll start making its way into everyone's hands, so. Ah, yeah, perfect. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Yeah, I've thought I might try and work my way through through all the different recipes. I thought it'd be quite a cool thing to try. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's been broken in, off. It's been broken into topics, and as you'd imagine, I think there's more than 150 recipes in there, so we ended up with, like, 50, um, like, barbecued or fried-type recipes, but then it gets, like, there's tinned tuna in there, homemade tinned tuna. There's... You know, there's there's about half a dozen ceviche recipes in there. There's uh, baked fish. There's all sorts of stuff. There's guys making sausage rolls out of fish. Like really, oh, wow. really clever, cool stuff in there. And um, I'm looking forward to trying them out myself after having um, edited a lot of the recipes. So it's going to be cool. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah. Um, have you introduced many of your mates to spearfishing? Oh, uh, yeah, loads. Yeah, copious amounts. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the beauty of social media is people often get to see what you're doing, and it's a big, big draw for a lot of people. I think um, to get out there and be in nature. But yeah, a lot, a lot of people. But I try. You know, I always the way I learn is I didn't have, you know, too much direction, and I think it's you've got to point people in the right direction, but. You've got to get that love of the ocean. That's sort of like where you need to find your basis, you know. Um, but yeah, just to get out there, you can't you can't be getting the hours in the water. There's nothing you can, in my opinion, there's nothing you can do that will you you won't progress any faster than actually spending time in the ocean looking around. Um, so yeah, just get, pointing people in the right direction and and uh, you know sort of encouraging them to study fish you know there's a lot of spearfishing media there's there's not as much as compared to you know rod fishing but 
you can learn countless like tips and tricks from you know rod fishing programs which there's lots more of that will teach you a lot about you know the habit habitats and and behaviors of certain fish which you can take directly from that and apply it to your spearfishing offense that's pretty good yeah earlier you were talking about like you jumped in at the spot with your with your shitty spear gun in the places where you knew that held fish now yeah from rod and reel fishing when you're walking along a shoreline and you're looking for places that are going to hold fish, what do you look for? Um, yeah, again, it, it does depend on the species, but you, yeah, you want, you want structure. Structure is always good. Um, obviously you want visibility. <laughs> Sometimes if you can't see the bottom or you can't see the reef and it's only a meter deep, it's probably best you don't really put your wetsuit on. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I find it, you just need to take mental note when you just swimming past a certain area and you notice that, you know, there might be a certain type of fish there and maybe you go back a week later and you find that that seems to be the case. I know a lot with, you know, like we've got a lot of um, a flatfish species in England. Um, I guess they're sort of, well, you have flounder out here, but I know they're not overly common, but I guess it's like flathead, you know, mm. they lay on the sand. Often, you know, as the reef meets the sand and there's bits of, you know, bits of rubbish and light in between, often that's where those species will be. And you just begin to make sort of like a diary of, of where you're finding the fish. They, yeah. all, they all, it's not a science, it's not three plus two equals five, but, you know, it's, there's a, you just keep making more information, more of a backlog of you know where you found the fish and and it just yeah that's where it, eventually you uh you begin to find them a bit more successfully i think um our, our brains are really um informed by experience as well and intuition you know like your subconscious informs your decision making far more than you realize and like yeah. so, sometimes when i talk to spiros like they can't even really explain some of the stuff they do and that's because hours and hours and probably weeks and weeks in the water have just informed their sort of their their subconscious about what it is they're doing and where to go and what to look for and um it's funny some people are a bit more conscious of the process and some people aren't but it's an interesting one where you're talking about ambush um species like particularly like flathead and flounder and how they come up off the bottom looking for stuff and the habitat where they're going to tend to want to hang out is where it's going to they're going to find food so i mean we you are paying attention to some of it, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I noticed uh, you did a garlic-buttered Western Cray with med salad, hey? Yeah, very tasty. Were you, <laughs> were you trying to impress a girl? Yeah, for sure. Always, <laughs> always. <laughs> we get, the girls actually got that sick of eating crayfish that they actually told me to stop catching them, believe it or not. Oh, well. <laughs> they get that. Some places in WA, you know, they call them like roaches, like cockroaches. There's that many, but um, again, that's all down to where you are. But <laughs> Sven Franklin yeah. from Melbourne submitted a karage uh lobster, which is like you know, Ooh. Japanese karage style, but with a lobster. And um, I've been frothing at the bit to try it out actually, to be honest. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's tasty, tasty fish. It's just it's not fish, obviously, but I mean such a practical meal as well you know once you learn how to you know 
get the tail out and you know they just cook cook so easy it doesn't take very long and there's you know no bones it's a beautiful meal for sure i think that that's a little bit honest too though like the girls like they're getting sick of one type of seafood like that's pretty common. Oh, like for sure. anywhere, like where you've got artis- artis- artisanal, artisanal, well, however you say it, you know, like subsistence fisher people, they tend to eat fish as a huge part of their diet. And obviously, you know, like routine, you know, gives way to boredom because you keep doing things the same old way. So it's nice to be challenged out of your comfort zone and try different <laughs> things. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What about scary shit? Have you given yourself a fright in the ocean? More too many times to count, unfortunately. <laughs> Never really been one to follow the rules. So, uh, yeah, I've often found myself in some pretty hairy situations. Um, one memorable time is when I was in England, I was just starting to push my diving abilities. There's a big headland near where we live called Rain Head. Uh, I was off the end of there, and at the time, it, it, I, it was probably only about 12, 15 meters, but you know, that's you know, when you're shore diving in England, the sort of continental shelf just gets like shallow and shallower gradually. So to find places that are sort of 12, 15 metres is you've got to be sort of half a kilometre out to sea, you know. Um, but um, there's at certain times of year, you get big, massive thousands spawning of spider crabs, which are sort of like the big snow crabs that um, you get in, in the colder waters. Um, and yeah, you get the big males that come in. Um, and they're everywhere, you know, and I'd often take one on the way out because they're, they're not difficult to find. They're all over the rocks um, and they're like a great meal. Probably, yeah, like better than, you know, a lot of lobster, a lot of like the more common crabs that are, that are eaten. Mm. Lovely sweet meat. But I would often just take one because my family loved them on the way in. Uh, I saw a big one and I was like, oh, okay, I'll go grab him and, you know, often it's, it's common to try and keep the crabs comfortable and alive right up until sort of cooking them. So I had a big, uh, like a big crab net uh, with like a sort of dodgy lock on the top. Uh, I went down and tried to get this crab into the net and it was uh, proven pretty difficult. But I, I finally got it in. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do a couple more dives. Um, before I head out, the sun was just setting. I was thinking, yeah, that there could be some good bass around. Um, I did a dive. I was practicing, you know, going deeper, sort of 12, 15 meters and holding my breath for a lot longer than I had been previously. Uh, as I've come to surface, I've realized the crab, obviously, is completely alive. Um, he's sort of been walking around inside the net on the reef that I've been lying on and trying to hide in the kelp. And he's latched himself on to, uh, to all the kelp. And these crabs, you know, they're massive, like bigger than my chest. Like the legs are huge. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, he's completely, like, locked himself onto the reef. So that was a bit of a, bit of a heart-stopping moment. But, yeah, <laughs> I, had my do- I had my dive knife and I'm sort of frantically cutting away at all the kelp. And he's sort of like, yeah, he's like sort of tangled himself up in all the kelp. And we have sort of that thick, long, uh, stringy kelp. Yeah. So it wasn't easy. And obviously the panic starts to set in. But I luckily I got up and, yeah, it wasn't wasn't great. I had sort of (laughs) blood pouring out my nose. Oh, (laughs) fire (laughs) out. Yeah. 
But, so, um, what lessons? Yeah, any lessons learned? <laughs> like, what did you take away from it? Well, yeah, I mean, I I'd already sort of taught myself a lesson, which was to take a crab as you're leaving the water, but uh, decided to ignore it on that go and do a few more dives. But uh, yeah, definitely with those crabs, take them, um, take them as you're leaving the water and don't do any more dives unless they're dead, you know. But Jeepers. yeah, it's best to keep them alive. I'm glad you're with <laughs> us, buddy. Be, be, yeah. Here, here lies Sam Munford drowned by a spider crab. That'd be a pretty shit. Yeah. It's funny because people don't, you know, out here, you know, you have countless experiences with sharks and, and you know, you think, oh, well, you can't, what can happen really in England? But uh, that's probably that's probably my worst, like sharks, really. I don't don't really set, tend to get the same fear as I had that time when I was sort of lodged on the bottom. <laughs> Sometimes with weather and commitments, it's a long time between drinks in your spearfishing journey. If you want a dry training program that can keep you in some kind of shape, for spearfishing, check out Ted Hardy's 28-day freediving transformation at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. That's noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Now, the 28-day freediving transformation is just a practical dry training plan that Ted Hardy will walk you through, and it will help you get results even if you can't get wet at the moment. Check it out at noobspero.com forward slash Ted. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Now check that out at audibletrial.com forward slash Noob Spiro. All right, funny stuff. You must have some uh, some characters with you, being a an alternative oh, lifestyle-loving yeah. type of bloke like you with a mullet. Oh yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how uh, how racy we can get here. But you um, can get as racy yeah. as you want, buddy. If it involves poo, I'm hundred uh, percent racy. I've got a. There's a, a famous thing. If you come spearfishing with me, yeah, it's called the Cornish Sea Turtle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if, if you've been to Cornwall, you know we don't get sea turtles, so you should be asking questions. From the get go, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Cornish sea turtle involves pulling down part of the bottom half of your wetsuit, and yeah. pulling up the top half of your wetsuit, floating along the top with where you can just see your bum coming <laughs> out, yeah. coming out of the water. Try and drift past your mate slowly so it looks like the shell of a sea turtle, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. Sometimes even uh, send a few excretions at the top. <laughs> uh, you get you get some laughs and you get some dis- disgusted people as well. But, <laughs> the yeah, Cornish sea turtle. Sea turtle. <laughs> what, a, what a dive, buddy! Oh, All right, that that'd ruin a breather. I'm telling you. Yeah, oh, for sure. Clog your <laughs> clog your snorkel as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure what I'd do to you if that, if you did that to me. Far out. That'd be, oh yeah, I'd, you'd get a good oh. laugh. I don't know if I'd if I'd if I'd stick my dive knife in your bum or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny when you can just see the shell. You know, you can just see the bottom. Everyone laughs at that bit. You know, like oh yeah, that's yeah. like Cornish sea turtle. But you know, 
As soon as uh, he starts laying eggs, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> turns the frowns upside down. <laughs> oh, you ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. So, um, in your dive bag, have you expanded on your equipment? Have you gone beyond the um, the shoe? I have. Yeah, I've ditched the shoe uh, <laughs> for the time being. Oh, yeah, I've upgraded. Um, recently to a um, Salvamar Hero Ooh. 115. Ooh, nice game. Which I'm pretty pretty fond of, yeah. It's been, like, deadly accurate. It's like a laser. But, um, yeah, I love a real gun for me. Um, I know that's, you know, often a bit of a hot potato topic. But but for me, that's what I like, and it works, works well. Why do you think it's a hot um, potato topic? I mean, safety is... Is um is obviously a massive a massive deal when it comes to spearfishing on the Gold Coast. We've you know lost a few people recently, and and you know that's that's you know super sad. You know a friend of friends, and and obviously tragedy. You know it's sort of everywhere with life. Um, you know safety with the float lines is it's unquestionably more safe you know it, it is definitely um it is definitely safer but often you know these things we do if it was if safety was our only priority we would just go buy our fish from coals in the supermarket you know, <laughs> you know how oft, often the reason we do some of these things is because they're not safe and we get a thrill and we become part of nature which is you know it's dog eat dog so it's trying to find the balance and not pushing yourself and, and you know it's you've got to find sort of you know what works for you and yeah so with your definitely a, with your expensive Salvamar Hero spear gun there and a and a full line of reel um <clears throat> if you go out and you shoot a big fish are you prepared to let it go uh, I've not had to yet, but I, for sure I would do. Yeah, if it was, if it, like safety is obviously your life's more important than anything. But uh, yeah, I've been dragged around by fish before, and obviously there's times like that where you wish you had a float line, you know. Yeah. But there's times where I'm glad I've been out with people that have been dragging around float lines all afternoon and not seen a fish, and I've come back with like a full stringer. You know, it's there's no like I say, there's no right. There's no necessarily right or wrong, in my opinion. There's mm. there's different. It depends. Like we live in like an yeah, like people are spearfishing all over the world. Like what works for one place doesn't necessarily work for somewhere else. You know, mm. ask people that are experienced in your area what they do and like have they worked up to that point. I know a lot of people now are are sort of ditching the float lines for real guns, but they tend to be pretty experienced, you know, yeah. spearos in the right setting, in a safe setting where they're doing one up, one down. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. Everyone's got an opinion. But, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. Is there safety. anything – Can I, I want to I give you a controversial question, and you don't have to answer yeah. it if you don't want to, but is there anything that really gets on your wick in the spearfishing community, like something that just grinds you the wrong way? Oh, often, yeah, lots of things. People always, you know, people always think they're right and their opinion's right. But, um, yeah, oh, yeah, there's just a million different things. I, I think a lot with uh, 
protected species, like I'm sure you're aware, you know, you're Queensland. How often do you see like blue groper when you go out spearfishing? Like when when we're down our way, you know, and I speak to my friends down in Sydney, that you know, they're everywhere. Like these a lot of these fishers seeing eye dog. Yeah, they're almost overpopulated. And you know, people sort of make the argument like, oh, well, they're not very smart and they're not very this and not very that. Like obviously they're illegal species, don't take them. But you like I spearfished in, you know, Margaret River, Southwest WA, all around there where they're a tape species. And I can tell you they're not stupid fish. Mm. They learn very, very, very quickly that you're hunting them. Obviously, they learn around here that people don't touch them. So they're quite they're like dogs, aren't they? They're friendly. But if if they become legal again, it wouldn't be long before they would be not the easiest species to catch. Yeah. So, there's been studies like done that. on there's been studies done on different species as well, like why uh you know, by by academics, and they've they've studied how fish do adapt. You know, like to unique spearfish, like the unique pressure of spearfishing, and um, they they get smarter and they stay further and further away. That's one of their adaptive mechanisms. Oh, for sure. And nature has equilibrium built into it. You know, like um, and you know, in a variety of ways. You know, people the scientists might not be able to quantify or understand exactly why their behavior is changing, but you know, we understand like all sorts of different um, impacts that we have on, on the fish around us. Like, um, so it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I think the blue groper issues is, is one that probably needs to be reinvestigated, particularly in New South Wales. Even if they looked at having an open season with restrictly um, reduced bag limits or something like that, perhaps that might go away to restoring that equilibrium because sometimes that's, it can be an example of, you know, a legislative, um, interference in the ecosystem designed to do good things and it's actually had the opposite effect it started to oh, create an imbalance sure. in the ecosystem um because yeah, you got you got this 100%. one species that's unable to be targeted and then it you have more of them and then they drive out other species and it doesn't have the effect that you desired so yeah that's it you, you see up north there's you know a lot of these marine um like green zones where you can't spearfish mm. that are like there it's right on the shore and you can literally like there'll be a marker on the beach and you're this side of the marker and there's you know uh spangled emperor there's mangrove jack there's e- everything you can imagine and like as big as you could possibly see and the second you sort of cross onto the other side of the line you're like lucky to see a brim you know like the fish <laughs> they know like you think they're they're stupid, but they're not. Like they're all oh, they're all animals and conscious. Like you, you you've got to give them more credit than sort of what we often do. Like yeah, yeah. So. I think we also got to give the environment more um, respect uh, with regard to its ability to recover. Um, there are there yes. are there are times where ecosystems get out of control. You know, like urchin barrens are a good example of it. And, Obviously, with um, changing um, ocean surface temperatures, like there's some changes happening around that um, that we need to understand and and try and um, assist as best we can. But um, it is funny what you notice as you as you travel around too. Like you've extensively travelled the west coast. Um, how did you feel about the state of their fishery? Um, oh, it's such a big, <laughs> such a big vast area, but. But yeah, like Northern WA is just like, it's like swimming in an aquarium. If you go to the right places, 
Um, around when I landed, I flew straight into Fremantle, um, where, you know, I sort of was expecting on big surfer as well, as well as spearfishman. And I sort of got there and was bitterly disappointed by both, really. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, did, I didn't really have either. But, um, but then, you know, you go over to Rocknest Island and, you know, it's the same thing. On, it's like an aquarium again. Mm. But I would say, yeah, it's so difficult. But like, yeah, the 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 climate, like the climate and the water is is different, and the species are different. But I think that yeah, they have a lot more. Uh, like they have, you know, seasons for different fish that you can take, and I think it's a lot more, um, yeah, like realistic. And I think it's better managed than it is probably on the on the east coast. Just from just from my perspective um but but yeah it's um again it there's for every argument you make there's a counter argument that's equally as good it's especially with the ocean it's, it's hard to sometimes know like you don't you for me I, I try and use my just general perception of of what i see when i'm in there if i see a lot of a species and that they have a healthy population in that area it's not foolproof but it gives you a good idea that that's like a that's like a, a species that's doing pretty well in that area that being said you know you, you might see a jack that you haven't seen in like the whole three months that you've been there and yeah. to not take that to not take that fish is difficult as a spear fisherman you know yeah. and some things that we all fail at <laughs> you've done a good job of just having a a conversation and introducing some of the nuance to it because Sometimes people love these overly simplistic explanations for everything. And they think that, mm. you know, there's people with a preservationist mindset, which is like pretty much that we're evil, like, and mm. we're inherently bad and we have inherently bad impacts on the environment and everything around us. And all we do is it's a bit like uh, Agent Smith in the Matrix and we're like this <laughs> virus that just destroys everything. Poor old Morpheus yeah. copping it. I only, I only re-recently re, re watched that, so that's why it's top of mind. But I think um, when you get down into the weeds, you realise like, oh, no, there's just a lot more going on here than uh, than most people would want to talk about or acknowledge. So, yeah. Oh, 100%, yeah. What's yeah, in your dive sure. bag, Sam? Uh, yeah, sorry. So I've got the um, I've got the Salvemar, the Salvemar Hero 115. Um, I, like I say, I've been really enjoying that. Um, I tend to, I just have some, I tend to use just like plastic fins for going around the rocks because a lot of fish I'll be sort of shooting in like pretty shallow water. Um, I'm getting some dive bars for when I start doing some more diving with some of the club guys. Um, but yeah, for the moment, they serve me pretty well. Um, dive knives. Uh, I don't know where to start. I've gone through <laughs> so many. Uh, I literally just lost one last week. Have you ever I used like a about twenty five of them? Have you ever used like a bungee cord and then just like um, tied it to the you know the 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 base of the handle of the knife and then onto the holster and that way even if it unclips, oh, no, that's good. Yeah, so you only need a meter of bungee and then it collapses to like you know thirty centimeters or a foot or and then so you've got plenty of room and then even if you're burlying up. Like in the ocean, you can just let the knife go and then like yeah. move your fish, do whatever you gotta do. Like sometimes when I'm burling, I'll tear bits of the fish off. 
and then you've just got to grab the bungee cord and pull it back up again and then it's back in your hand rather than having to reholster it every time, which can be a pain in the ass. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I like a like a spike rather than uh, – it's worth spending some money on for sure rather than getting like the dirt cheap ones. <laughs> but, yeah, I've, I've, I've spent, you know, in excess of like 120 bucks, 130 bucks on a knife and you lose it two weeks later, it's uh, heartbreaking. So, yeah. So yeah, usually around about the 60, 70, 80 bucks mark is where I tend to sort of aim for. If you lose that, you know, it's usually a good enough quality knife, but if you lose it, it's not, it's not, it's not as heartbreaking as when you've spent double that. Cool. Um, yeah, I've just bought a new two-piece suit. I can't remember the, can't remember the brand it is, but um, but yeah, it's really good. Two mil. Um yeah, hooded suit um, with like a, a sort of blue water camo, which I've found to be surprisingly pretty good. Okay. Um, I find that the camo suits, yeah, you know, some people don't really say it, you know, makes too much difference. But from my experience and my hunting techniques, um, it's definitely something that you get a lot closer to the fish, in my opinion. Whereas if you compare that to a black suit or black suit or, um, yeah, I find that you can, you know, you can reduce that distance quite significantly. I prefer, I prefer, I prefer the camo suits too now. After having owned a black suit too, I, I think I prefer it as well. And that's just pure, yeah. purely anecdotal. I have zero evidence to support that. I just know yeah. that I like it. So yeah, you look pretty cool in the water. That's the <laughs> <laughs> big part of it. <laughs> you gotta look cool. Eh? You gotta you gotta blend in to the rocks um like in less than ten meters of water. That way your mates think you're a real deep diver, you know? Yeah, that's what you want. Even that's it, what we're looking for. It doesn't matter if the fish can see you as long as your mates can't see you from the surface. Yeah, that is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to get the GoPro angles because fish are, you know, yeah. from the bottom up as well. I also looked up nice and deep. <laughs> Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code Spiro, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. Get Adam's course and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Hey guys, how about increasing your breath hold even though you aren't even near the water? I think you'll agree with me when I say contractions suck. But what if I told you there was a way to relax and steadily push them back and to do it safely? Freediving for spearfishers at howtofreedive.com will help you to extend your breath hold, understand your body better, and put you in a better position when you actually get to go out spearfishing. It's not for noobs though, as this program is more for advanced spearos who have some diving under their belts and understand basic spearfishing safety. But it's perfect for spearos who want a guided program with videos, a clear process to follow, and a set goal. The 5-Minute Freediver works. Check it out. You can start for free. Check out the course. See if you like it. If you use the code NoobSparrow, you'll save some money when you do purchase. Check it out at howtofreedive.com. Let's do a faster pace round of questions on the way out, Sam. Um, oh, jeez. There we go. You ready? You prepared? 
Uh, not really, but let's go for it. What are we, what are we going for? Okay, single best <laughs> piece of advice you've ever been given for spearing? Oh, quite such a good question. Um, just enjoy yourself and learn how to cook fish, for sure. Because it, it'll keep you going back time and time again. If you're having fun, you know, like you say, I'm a musician. I, I used to teach teach music to people. Like, you only get good if you enjoy it. Like, if it becomes a job or something that you don't enjoy, you, you'll lose interest. So learning to cook the fish is also a big part of that because it just adds and completes the whole process as you know, a day-long activity of, you know, starting to get your stuff ready, getting in the water, catching the fish, preparing your fish, cooking your fish, eating your fish, you know. It just completes it. It's good. All right, what would be your fish of a lifetime? What, that I've caught or, or that I'd like to nah, catch? your dream fish. Or I think for a lot of people, it's the uh, a big dog tooth tuna would be, uh, would be pretty special. Um. Yeah, All maybe right. I've, I've caught a big tusk fish, but maybe a, a double-figure tusk fish would be nice or blue bone. I haven't, yeah. shot, I haven't shot a double-figure one either. 9.4 is my biggest, so that's on my list too. I love them. They eat so well. Yeah, too. yeah, um, best, best species. Dream spearfishing destination for you? Yeah, I'm planning on going to Vanuatu. Um, I think that would be um, an amazing place to go. Jamie Rives, you've got to connect with him at Deeply Immersed on Instagram. There's a few cool people over there, though. But um, Yeah. He's yeah. a cool dude. Um, last question. Could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Um, I would say uh, sound mental health uh, and good outlook on life. Basically, yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. Love it. That's it. <laughs> Samuel Mumford, I've had an absolute ball. People can follow you on Instagram. It's at Sam the Waterman on Insta. Are That's you right. Have you got a YouTube channel? Not yet, no. I've, uh, I, well, I do have an old one that has some sort of B-grade videos on, but yeah, I've just got a new GoPro 10. You really promoted the hell out of it then. So if, if yeah. people follow you on Insta, though, they'll be able yeah, to. Yeah, Instagram's my main channel. Um, and also, yeah, there will be a YouTube channel um, just collecting uh, some footage at the moment. So, yeah, awesome. in the near future. That's exciting. You've, yeah. got, you've got a great personality for videos too, I think, Sam. Ah, cheers, buddy. I appreciate that. You haven't. <laughs> I've got a I've got a face for audio, as they say. Um, I was going to say, are you going to get back any music too, mate? Yeah, no, it's um, on a big back burner of things to do. And yeah, I'd, I'd, the sort of plan is to incorporate my music into my videos. Um, I write a lot of my own music. I've wrote sort of, you know, ocean and spearfishing based theme music and be nice to sort of loop that over the backs of some of our videos rather than circling some of the free trashy music that gets sort of uh, yeah, banged onto the back a lot of videos these days. I was, I was, was going to hit you up. I want a song to you, so you'll have to, you'll have to hook me up. Ah, yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> For all sure. Good, all good, Sam. If people, yeah. people want to connect with you, can they just um, grab you on Instagram? Is that the best way? Yeah, please, Dave. Please, please, um, please follow me on Instagram. Message me if you want to get out for a spear. I'm often travelling up and down the coast and around the coast, so 
Uh, if you've got somewhere that you're sort of getting some spots and want someone to dive with, I'll make the journey. Sick. All right. I might, um, I'll chuck up some show notes today at noobspiro.com forward slash Sam the Waterman. And that'll go along with your Instagram handle as well. So people can come and, um, come and check out any of the details and images that, uh, that we jack up on there as well. So awesome, Sam. Great to have you, mate. Perfect. Cheers, man. Thanks very much. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed Sam Mumford. He's a, he's a super cool guy. I really enjoyed uh, hearing some of his crazy stories. I just love his energy as well. So thanks, Sam, for coming on the podcast. Absolutely awesome, mate. Next week, come back, guys. We've got an awesome interview with Eric Keener from Finn and Forage and Devon O'Day from the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, we get down and dirty. We talk about heaps of stuff. We talk about the 30-30 initiative, which is a uh, – Something happening in a, in a big way in California, and both of these guys have got plenty to say on it. Uh, here, a really interesting boo story. And um, Catch and Cook Comp coming up at the end of April. Uh, this, is a, this is an awesome model. If you are looking at competing and you live in California, I would, uh, I would 100% um, encourage you to do so. But there's a bunch of free initiatives as well along with it huge prizes, and we talk all about this stuff as well as sustainability and heaps of other trendy words, and we have a good, vibrant conversation. Come back in a week. Thanks, Sam, for joining me again. And, uh, guys, if you have not yet, I would encourage you to leave a review for the New Spirit Podcast wherever you listen. And as usual, thanks to the patrons powering this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash noobspiro, become a patron listener, join 52 other people helping to keep this show going. And, uh, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in a week. The Noob Spiro Podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the US. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the US. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at Neptonics.com. Use the code NOOBSPIRO at Neptonics.com. Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price beat guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear.